Hello, and welcome to Into the Aether. It's a low-key video game podcast. My name is Brendan Bigley. I'm Stephen Hilger. We have a lot to talk about today. Mostly, it's some listener questions. So I just want to say, before we even get to that section, thank you so much for sending in questions. You can send in questions literally whenever you want, not just when we ask. Uh, If you ever want to tweet at us or post in Discord or whatever, feel free to send in a question and we might talk about it on the show. Yeah, we have a Google Doc of like questions that have been asked in the past. So we have like kind of a backlog of stuff as well. Yeah, totally. So just a heads up, that's coming later. But uh, in the meantime, we have some video games we want to talk about. Let's get them out of the way first. Let's rush. Let's just (laughs) fuck it. Gaming? Who cares? I want to talk to the listeners. I do want to level set. It is kind of an interesting energy right now because like we, we usually mention if we're recording at night. Right now we're recording like before sunset and mm-hmm. we had just recorded last week's episode moments before. So we did a double today. Yeah. It's before I turn into a wolf. Yeah. <laughs> That's why you're in such a rush. Yeah. I love that. I love that late addition to ITA lore. Yeah. I, I don't turn into a werewolf to be clear. I just, it's just wolf or boy. That's <laughs> my two... That's the that's the spectrum. Can here. you imagine if that's why we've always specified we're recording at night? Like, just in case. We're like, just so you know, we're recording at night. Anything can happen. So the, the cool thing about Dragon Quest Seven, <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So I had a DS game that I wanted to bring up. Uh, as we've mentioned pretty much every week for the last few episodes, our big season five premiere is coming up soon. And that's largely where a lot of my time has been going um i'm i really wanted to make sure i settled on my list like early in the month so i could like then spend even more time with those top 10 and really have like a firm sense of each game yeah but there's some stuff that like even if it's not making my top 10 i still think is like really cool and worthy of discussion and there's also a lot of games that i've purposely put in my backlog on backlog.com uh (laughs) So that when it's over, I'm like, okay, these are the games that I actually still want to play, even once we're done highlighting our favorites of favorites, you know? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, So one game I thought was kind of interesting that I had no idea what it was and really had no, this is another Henry Hatsworth where it's like, you look at the cover and you're like, whatever, like, I don't feel anything about this. (laughs) Uh, It is a game called Might and Magic Clash of Heroes by Mm -hmm. Ubisoft. So like already the name of it sounds like you would get like a malware pop up for it. Like now. I feel like Might and Magic is like a really old series. Am I I wrong? Yeah, so what what little I know about it, it's like a very old RPG series that Ubisoft tried to reboot around this time. Whoa. So like the rights for it were kind of up for grabs and then Ubisoft bought it and released a few Might and Magic games. And uh, I don't really know if it's like still around or still a thing, but this is like from that time when it was trying to be kind of rebranded. It looks like the last one was uh, Legacy, Might and Magic Legacy that came out in 2014. So I think it seems to be done at that point. Yeah, I have. If you know more about what this series is and like you think we should check it out, please let us know. I don't want to like write it off, but I just know nothing about it. A quick scan of Wikipedia.org, which all my (laughs) teachers told me is not a reliable source. But I I say uh, screw what they say. It seems to be reliable in my daily life. It seems like it was a, a very early fantasy RPG for like the Apple II and like MS-DOS Commodore 64 era. Yeah. Um, it's like true to form text adventure, like barely any imagery going on, like kind of move around. There's like pixel art of trees. It's like go west. Okay. Uh, <laughs> you know, that kind of stuff, um, which is cool. That's interesting. So that's that's how early we're talking when we're talking Might and Magic. Yeah. 1986 was the first one. It's called The Secret of the Inner Sanctum. That's a good title. When we talked about uh, Radical Dreamers, which is the um, sort of in-between game between Chrono Trigger and Chrono Cross, that is 
a text adventure. Yeah. Playing that made me wonder, like, do I have it in me to explore old text adventure games? So maybe one day. Well, so that could be a fun project for me. I would love to. I think the most I've ever done that is the one that they made for HomestarRunner.com. <laughs> what was that? Uh, it was like Head Flask or something or Ye Flask. Yeah, Get Ye Flask. You're right. It was something like that. I forget yeah. I forget to- exactly what it was, but you're you're almost there. Yeah, I'm almost there. Yeah, I remember the Stinko Man game as well. Um, that, that was, was more that was more like 90s Mega Man energy. Anyway, My Magic Clash of Heroes is a really interesting game. Essentially, it's like kind of a mashup similar to Henry Hatsworth. It's a mashup. Everything is in orbit of Henry Hatsworth at this point in time. <laughs> it's a mashup of kind of a puzzle match three game with like turn based tactics. Um, so essentially, the way the game works is that you play as kind of like uh, think advanced wars where there's sort of a commanding officer you have like a character who like is the leader of a certain army so the game starts off you're this like uh elf ranger who commands the elves and and various like forest creatures Mm -hmm. there are other characters eventually as well and they all have like their own special move but largely you're commanding these forces and there are three colors of the units you can summon and when you play like you you can basically choose an option on the lower screen to summon more units and then you can choose like you can move them around i think three times and what's nice about the ds you know playing this on the ds is that your like field is the bottom screen and the top screen is the enemies so it's one of these games that actually does really utilize the hardware in an interesting way mm. and essentially like if you match three of your units of the same color it will kind of activate like their attack and every unit has their own like some units will attack the next turn some will take like three turns to ready their attack so like lining up vertically essentially just attacks lining up horizontally will turn those units into a wall of some kind and if you do that like twice in a row it will make a harder wall so that way when enemies try to come from the top screen they'll like be stopped by that wall there are other types of units that can like jump over things it's hard to put into words and it's it's kind of like one of those games you just sort of have to see to like kind of grasp fully but what is so impressive to me is this ability to like have a really really simple structure at first and like honestly like the first few matches kind of feel a little basic like it feels okay like i'm you know cool i'm matching three that's great and then then the elves fire a bow that's sick (laughs) but as they quickly layer on more and more things it ends up becoming like a really in-depth tactics game with like a really simple premise, which I yeah. actually think that really works. So sometimes like, uh, you know, I think tactics games can be a little bit obtuse. Fire Emblem is a great example of a game that like tries so often to explain itself and you, you never really know. I mean, it, it takes beating a Fire Emblem game to understand a Fire Emblem game. Like, I feel like <laughs> I now understand Three Houses after beating it three plus times. I'm like, oh, that's what item weight does. And that's what gambits do. And okay, mm-hmm. cool. Now I know I know everything. But this just makes making it kind of an immediately attainable premise of matching the the colors and sort of having like a puzzle center to it. It's a really unique idea. And, and what I've noticed about playing a lot of the DS library is that there are so many games that you can tell are like just collective ideas bubbling that would eventually become the really popular mobile games. Because this game feels so much like it would have just been a mobile game at some point. And I mean that just not as like derogatory. Like I just mean like the format of it feels like it would be perfect for a phone. And there are a lot of DS games that feel like smartphones weren't really quite there yet with like their ability to, or at least like the appeal of the games on a phone. 
And the DS was like sort of weirdly leading that front for the games that would eventually become that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, looking at this game, this came out in 2009. Uh, the iPhone came out in 2007, didn't have an app store, to be clear, when it first came out. Yeah. We were like either there was no app store yet or we were in like the early days of developers starting to make stuff specifically for the iPhone, uh, which is pretty wild. But I, I know what you mean. The The more I dug into the DS library, the more I started to feel that way about a lot of games. I know you've expressed the same thing to me off the show as well. I mean, games like Puzzle Quest, which I think like just for like feel more suited to mobile than anything else, like got their start on the DS. You know, the Puzzle Quest games are like great Nintendo DS games and have unfortunately started to adopt the worst I think of the like in-app purchase microtransaction side of things, especially uh, with the most recent release. But you go play those original ones uh, and they're like actually incredible experiences, like really fun RPG little like match three puzzle experiences. And it sounds like this is kind of going after a similar thing that Puzzle Quest is going after. And uh, as a fan of Puzzle Quest, that makes me want to check this one out. So that's fun. (laughs) Yeah, I I would honestly recommend it. I think it, it was a surprise hit for me. I will say, like, there's a story and it's, like, the most generic thing you can imagine. Like, there's some charm in, like, the presentation that has a kind of a cartoony energy. But, like, there are some dramatic beats early on that I just feel nothing for. I'm just like, whatever. Like, it's fine. (laughs) And, like, you know, it's it's serviceable enough. Like, it's okay. I'm, like, kind of going along. Like, it is interesting that, like, there are some story missions that inform how the match will go. So, early on, like, the elder of the elven village is like being held captive and he before the battle starts he's like don't hit me by accident i can't stand it and then the battle starts i mean i think it's slightly different words but it's something like that i'm like i'm not gonna hit you i'm trying to save you but then the battle starts and you see like he is on the enemy's side and he will move throughout the match to different like places So you have to account for like, okay, I might prepare an attack that's going to happen in three turns and I need to make sure that he doesn't end up in my line of offense because then I will hit him by accident. Yeah. The big like unique unit for the elves is this deer that takes like three turns, I think, to attack and then it like leaps over everything and like destroys everything in its path. It's very cool. When it said you got deer, I was like, okay, it's fine. But it was like the best (laughs) unit. You can also summon bears, which I love. But yeah, it's there's not really too much more to say. It's again, it's very simple. That's kind of what I like about it. And I think that there are a lot of tactics games on the DS that have kind of been a little bit hit or miss for me. I think that like the Fire Emblem on the DS is like definitely my least favorite Fire Emblem I've played, to be honest. Um, <laughs> yeah, I was not a huge fan of it. And even the Advance Wars games, like Dual Strike is, is pretty solid, but like it kind of gets a little busy with like trying to do its central premise of like, now you have two commanders. It just sort of feels like, that's cool, but it's not really... It doesn't really utilize the hardware in the way that I think it thinks it does. Yeah. And then Days of Ruin is like, you know, what if like Nickelback played in the background and it was Mad Max? And it's like, no, thank you. Yeah. It's a little Call of Duty adjacent. It's not a bad game. Yeah. But yeah, it's going for like a very different tone. I don't even think it's in the same like canon as the rest of the games. So all I have to say, like, this is actually, I think, one of the better tactics games on the DS. So definitely a big surprise for me. Yeah, that's fun. And then there's also Final Fantasy, uh, which is oh, an exciting well, one. Yes, which I'm, of course. I'm, I'm excited to dig into. I'm just thinking about like other games that feel like mobile games on the DS that I've played recently. And I think like the most obvious one that I think we've talked about on the show, but th- there's two by the same company, PopCap Games, who like don't really exist anymore. 
but they put out um, Peggle and Plants vs. Zombies on the DS, and it's just like straight up ports of both of those games, and they feel fucking great, man. They feel so good on the DS. They're games that like I don't fully think can count, but if we could, like I imagine at least one of them would be in my top 10, because the amount of both Peggle and Plants vs. Zombies I have played on my Nintendo DS over the past couple of months is actually like pretty wild. They're definitely at least honorable mentions, even if they don't like fully count, because Plants vs. Zombies, that first game, really good. And the like the growth curve of the amount of mechanics and different kinds of units and stuff that they give you, it's just such a fun, weird, interesting take on tower defense that like still holds up. And then Peggle's just like forever. Like Peggle is like an <laughs> ultimate, you know? It's like it's like a crime that they're not still making Peggle games. There's a game actually that I, I've been meaning to talk about on the show, like forever. You know what? I'll just do it right now. Why not? There's a game I've been meaning to talk about on the show for forever. <laughs> That I'm just going to talk about now. Um, that's oh, Peggle yeah. Adjacent, and that's the reason I wanted to talk about it. But, like, maybe two months ago, I picked up this game for, like, $5 on Steam called Peglin that I saw some, like, streamers talking about. Um, and I think has now, like, kind of entered the public consciousness. Like, it seems like it's, like, a big deal now, which is cool. It's this indie game that is a take on Peggle, but you play as a little goblin. And the whole idea is that there's this top level above the game of Peggle where you are this goblin and there's a bunch of enemies coming at you and based on how well you do playing Peggle you will attack those enemies for different amounts of damage depending on like how many pegs you're hitting what kind of pegs you're hitting do you have any like special abilities or whatever and uh, it's also a roguelike which is you know obviously suited for me so it's this like mashup of a game I love Peggle and a genre I love roguelikes that really just works super well together it's an extremely extremely good video game uh, it is available on Steam for very cheap it's on PC and mac so that's how i played it and i'm just hoping that it like gets developed all the way through release and starts showing up on other platforms because like i want this on my phone and i want this on switch i want this like everywhere uh it's is an extremely good game yes that's peglin <laughs> sometimes i feel uh, um yeah on the horizon when we like close <laughs> like with all this like passion and, and it's like yes 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 and yeah that's it that's all i got <clears throat> I, I don't know peglin <laughs> Speaking of mobile stuff, you had another mobile game you wanted to bring up on the show. I did have another mobile game. Speaking of things uh, that feel like they were made for mobile and uh, maybe the opposite of that, uh, (laughs) Apex Legends is on mobile now, which is interesting. Uh, As of the time this episode is out, it's been out for a couple weeks now, but we're recording this in advance. uh, So it's kind of a recent development. Apex Legends mobile dropped recently after like just months of like not even rumors, just like we all knew it was happening. It was just a question of when. And it launched with a very interesting twist, I think, that people weren't really expecting, which is that there is a mobile-only character that they've announced and added to the game, who I have not been able to play (laughs) as yet, which is funny, because I don't have the, like in-game currency that I need to like unlock them or whatever. Sure. Um, yeah. This one I'm a little bit less like harsh on in terms of the way they're monetizing it because it's monetized almost the exact same way that the base game is monetized. You know, like you still have to buy the characters just like you do in regular Apex Legends. So it's not like that bad really, but it does very much have the like the Call of Duty mobile, like how many buttons can we fit on one screen thing going on in the menus where like as soon as you open it up or like uh, Wild Rift, your favorite mobile game, like for some reason you open it up and there's just like a hundred thousand things you can click on and like all these pop-ups that are like event event not 
notice. Here's yeah. an email. What a text <laughs> message from Grubhub. It really does feel like opening AOL, like back in like early 2000s. Like, you yeah. know, where like you get like, IN, like everything loading at once. Yeah. Wild Rift, I'll say, is the one that I think does it the best. Of all those games that I've played, Wild Rift's UI design is like actually pretty parsable. Like you can look at it and kind of have an understanding of what you're supposed to click on if you want to actually play the video game. Yeah. Apex Legends, fucking not at all. Apex Legends <laughs> is a nightmare. I have such a hard time like jumping into the game. But when you do... It is really good. I've, I'm actually really surprised at how well some of these companies have been able to translate their stuff to mobile recently because there are a lot of games I just don't feel like are going to work very well because I'm not a huge fan of like on screen, like virtual controls and stuff. But like Call of Duty Mobile, which I've talked about on the show, surprisingly competent for what that game is. Um, and then as soon as you add controller support to it, it's like a whole other thing. I mean, it's just incredible. It just feels really good. It's like the only Call of Duty game that I would recommend playing outside of the, again, horrible in-game monetization stuff but apex legends feels really good i i've been really surprised at how many matches of apex legends i've played on mobile so far it's a game that i've like kind of bailed from entirely i mean you and i loved apex legends right when it came out mainly as a way to like chat and get shot in the head like while like running <laughs> through the swamp um you know we, i don't think i've ever been worse at a game there was yeah. like because we we played like at launch and like there was like that sweet spot of like so many people are playing no one really knows the game yet like we we won a couple rounds yeah but then like we took like maybe a couple weeks off and then came back mm-hmm. and it was just pathetic it was yeah, like it was pretty rough we were essentially just watching loading screens together yeah like while we <laughs> waited to find a new match yeah that's that's about as close to playing the game as we've gotten and honestly i haven't really gone back since i've yeah. played a couple matches here and there with friends like if they want uh because you know, a lot of people just still play apex legends and that's cool but for the most part that's not like the game that i'm playing as much as i have an appreciation for it mainly because of that mainly because i i feel like i'm kind of always going to be at a disadvantage i don't know what the new maps are i don't know what the new modes are i don't know what the new characters do and like do i really want to take the time to learn all that stuff not so much um and that's kind of what i find interesting about the mobile version because it's taking the the league of legends wild rift approach where it's a different track than the console version you know like wild rift is doing a different thing than base league of legends is doing different characters who are tuned differently for the mobile version and like as they release new characters that's not going to be mirrored in league of legends proper and vice versa that seems to be the case with apex legends where like they brought in most of the legends from the base game so like you kind of know what to expect for the most part but they're going to introduce new characters specifically for this version and like they may or may not show up in in the base game and vice versa um as far as i know there's one in the base game that's not in the mobile version as well right now and honestly i think that's probably for the best like you should treat both the platforms like they play differently because they fucking do yeah um and uh in this case what i've found is that uh apex legends feels really great on mobile you have to go through like a lengthy tutorial obviously uh and they teach you a bunch of stuff about how to play the game i i think there's like a lot going on on screen um so much so that i think it does kind of get in the way of the game play sometimes but when you kind of lock into it and you're really not paying as much attention as i think you need to it starts to feel really good like the moments in which i have all my like kit kind of set and i don't really feel the need to like go around and scavenge and stuff because as soon as you need to like open up an inventory box and actually manage your inventory on that little tiny screen with a hundred thousand other buttons showing up it's like 
so horrifying to try and do anything. But as soon as you're like good, if you feel like okay about what your equipment is, it's a really good game. Like it feels pretty solid. And that's been very cool. So I played it a little bit on on my iPhone. And then I had this like, oh, aha uh, moment where I decided to give it a shot on my Odin as well, just to see how that felt. Yeah. And the cool thing about the Odin that's worth mentioning is that for mobile games that don't have controller support, there's a there's like a thing built into the Odin that lets you map on screen controls to actual buttons on the Odin. Um, so like in League of Legends Wild Rift, for example, the bottom left that you use to like move your character around the screen, you can just like drag and drop a little thing like a little joystick onto it that will map it to the left joystick. of your Oh, Odin. that's cool. So you can like actually play that game with button controls, which I've been doing. It's pretty cool. And I was expecting to give that a shot with Apex Legends because I was like, let me see how much I can map this thing to buttons. And to my surprise, as soon as I got into a match, it just for some reason had controller support. The game doesn't have controller support in any of the menus and doesn't seem to say it has controller support anywhere in the listing or anywhere on the internet. Um, But when you start playing the game and you're in a match, it sure does have controller support. (laughs) So suddenly it's just Apex Legends again, but on my phone um, or on my Odin. And you know what? That's pretty cool. So I've been very surprised uh, by it. I don't look, I, I'll be cl- I'll be honest. This is one of those situations where I'm bringing this to the show. I don't know how much more of this I'm going to play, but I did check it out for the show. And <laughs> I, was like, say, I don't know how much more of this I can take. <laughs> I, I mean, you're not that far off. Um, <laughs> Whoops. But uh, it's one of those things where I, I checked it out for the show to see if it would be worth bringing and uh, ended up playing like, I don't know, 15 to 20 matches of Apex Legends, which is like at least four times as many matches as I've played since we first got the game and that's pretty remarkable that it works that well i'm scared how many wild rift matches i've played at this point i will say today in my platinum ranked match yes uh i was mvp and got s rank which meant that in that match i played better than most people of that character and i felt amazed and horrified yeah (laughs) i can't believe you uh steven hit platinum the other day in this game um and i think that's exciting to be direct platinum is not quite as high as it sounds there's like eight arbitrary like tough guy big guy there's like eight like (laughs) you know ranks beyond that but um for the level in which i play it which is pretty casually i was like okay i'm glad like this time has crystallized into an impressive sounding rank that I'll take. Yeah, yeah, I think that's pretty sick. I'm excited for you. I, I appreciate it. I really do. Can we cross play between Android and iOS? I have no idea. I th- I think probably. I don't think I'm only playing against people with an iPhone. So that should be mm. fine. Because I've also played on my iPad and it's like the same thing. Yeah. You know, it's like Apple stuff. That would be great because I play as Ash primarily, who is in the duo lane. So if you want to take a support character, we can literally play together. Oh, wow. Very interesting. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, stay tuned, dear listener, to see if that crystallizes. <laughs> into something as i look through the 400 support <laughs> characters that exist that's that's the daunting thing uh but you know once you find the one it, it all it all takes off then you'll be platinum in no time baby yeah cool well that was a whole smorgasbord of stuff do you want to take a break and move on to more stuff sounds good i would love that okay that sounds good goodbye dear listener and steven i'll see you soon see you brendan hello steven hey <laughs> It's like Oblivion adjacent for some reason. I don't know why that happened. Yeah, well, that was just straight up Oblivion. You were yeah. right on target with that. Yeah. <laughs> Hello. Uh, how was your break? It was good. It was good. Uh, it's honestly been really beautiful in Chicago. I was able to get some groceries earlier today. Uh, it's like been like 60s, which is ideal. Mm. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I know what you mean. Yeah. It was really hot in New York for a couple of days and then like immediately got very cool and nice again, which I'm, I'm very thankful for. 
Although there is a little bit of a twinge of like, I sure have been inside for like a whole week at this point, not leaving or being able to do anything or see anybody. Um, and knowing that the world is so beautiful outside and I can't experience it is definitely a little bit of a bummer, but it's okay because I'm going to Florida soon. Soon you will have it all. And you know what I'm taking with me? Speaking of transitions is uh, Lord of the Rings, the third age on my Ein Odin. This is a game that I am so exhilarated to tell you about. You told me to look up nothing about it. So this yeah, is, I asked you if you'd ever yeah. played it. You said no. And I said, OK, don't look it up. Don't, I don't want you to know anything about it. I want to tell you what this game is um, <laughs> because I was looking at stuff that I wanted to play from like the PS2 era on the Odin um, and remembered having a really strong affinity for Lord of the Rings, the two towers and Lord of the Rings return of the King. That was an era of video games where there were just like a ton of movie tie-in games happening all the time for everything. Yeah. Just like IP nonsense left and right on that thing and on the DS and on the game boy advance and all the stuff that was happening, you know, in like the early two thousands. Um, that was very much the vibe, uh, was, was just like IP everywhere. How can you apply it to things? And, Two Towers and Return of the King, wildly enough, were like really competent. Um, They're like Gauntlet Legends. Right? Yes, like, like Gauntlet like... hack and slash RPGs. Multiplayer out of the box. You could like bring your memory card around to other people's houses, like bring your character over. It was really good. Like both of those games were really solid and I loved them and played them both like nonstop with my friends growing up. And I was just looking up like, OK, cool. Like I want to check these games out. And while I was searching for Lord of the Rings PS2, found this other game that was called Lord of the Rings The Third Age I'd never heard of that got like okay reviews you know like average seven out of ten ish eight out of ten which is like not bad and i'd never heard of it and i had no idea what it was and i started looking it up and was like i need i will do anything to play this game because it <laughs> it doesn't seem like it should exist at all um so i downloaded it and started playing it and uh was trying to figure out like is this a bit or do i really like this and should i bring it to the show and the answer is yes it's great and i need to tell you about it so this is a game by ea games that specifically it's worth mentioning ea games did not have the rights to lord of the rings they had the rights to lord of the rings the peter jackson trilogy of films so because of that they needed to make a game that only incorporated elements from the movies but they weren't allowed to use any other elements from lord of the rings the ip this is also a turn-based strategy rpg in the style of final fantasy 10 like literally that's the brief like that's what everyone who made the game like wanted to do they all loved the vibe of final fantasy 10 or like the final fantasy games a lot of the reviews when this came out were like this is just final fantasy 10 but lord of the rings and then like knocked it for that the whole thing about it though is that because they obviously couldn't get like the voice actors from the movies and stuff or sorry they had the budget for some but not all of them uh what they decided to do instead was to create a new band of heroes who were like adjacent to the fellowship but not actually part of the fellowship oh my god yes who are who are traveling along the fellowship's path throughout all three movies so this this game apparently encompasses all three movies i have not made it that far yet uh to to get past the first movie i'll tell you where i stopped because it's wild but they are like 
I would say, a day's journey behind the fellowship at all times. So what happens is you're constantly like <laughs> seeing evidence of the movies happening. To be clear, not the books, the movies. You're seeing evidence of the movies happening. So like the scene in which uh, Aragorn is training Merry and Pippin to like fight with swords uh, and then the flock of crows come and they need to hide behind some rocks. Like you find their camp the day after they're there. You roll up to the mines of Moria and you know that like big scary squid monster that's outside the mines of Moria that they like fight and run away from and like go into the mines in the mm-hmm. movie in this game you need to actually kill that thing because they didn't so that's on you now because you're also going into the mines of Moria I am in love with the idea of like being <laughs> trailed by a group of knockoffs like in yes, your, in yes, Aragorn's yes. shadow is like gory <laughs> like, you know, like some, <laughs> some other dude with the beard that is so funny to me i love that this is like accidentally like rosencrantz and guildenstern are dead but like as yes. a video game in lord of the rings wow it's it's pretty what um barathor is your lead character by the way who is looking for boromir <laughs> and cannot find him um, well yeah i wonder why uh yeah <laughs> <laughs> it is it is you and then a an elf uh who has like mysterious like side reasons for helping you out that you don't know yet which i'm excited to find out legitimately you roll up uh, and find a Another dude um, who is, I think, an, yeah, he's like an archer. I'm trying to remember if he's like from Rohan or not. No, you get a Rohan guy later. And then uh, you also find a dwarf who is just, you know, not Gimli, <laughs> which is hilarious. Uh, anyway, it is also worth mentioning that uh, Sir Ian McKellen sure is the only voice actor that they got to like really be in the game. Wow. So well, that's he, a big get. Yeah. It is pretty wild, but he, like, if you're going to get one person to do it, like, sure. why not? He's actually a pretty good fit. So he kind of narrates a lot of the stuff that's happening. That's and cool. I'm sorry to spoil this, but it's a PS2 game from 2004. He ends up joining the party eventually later. After, I guess, he dies in the in the mines and comes back as Gandalf the White, he ends up joining the party. And like he, that's what he's doing in between, I guess, the first movie and the Helm's Deep battle in the second one, which is interesting. He's like helping your party. So that's fun. I'm excited for that whenever that happens. All of that having been said, the game sure is Final Fantasy X because the whole conceit, like, gameplay wise is you are just running around these 3d environments they have the same map that shows you like the same amount of information on it which is like you kind of have a straight line to run in i I would say final fantasy 10 definitely has a much higher production value in terms of what they're (laughs) able to do with their environments i think Uh they're much more interesting much more fleshed out there are like real towns and things you can go hang out in that's not really as much of a thing in lord of the rings the third age it really is just kind of a straight line it almost reminds me a little bit of final fantasy 13 in that way yeah the difference being that i think the combat is actually really good like the combat is like really fun nice. uh, in the combat scenes specifically it looks a lot like final fantasy 10 but you can tell that the budget specifically went to animating all of the characters and all the enemies like the animations in this game when you're fighting an orc and an orc is fighting you are like really visceral and actually really riveting in a way that i was not expecting <laughs> at all considering the rest of what the game looks like like the yeah. game doesn't look bad it's like you know like on the good end of what ps2 graphics were looking like at that time when you're running around out in the woods and stuff it really does look like peter jackson's version of middle earth as best they can you know it's sparse you know because it's 2004 but like it's serviceable in a way i wasn't really 
prepared for. But the combat section specifically, I find really cool. It kind of actually weirdly goes the Dragon Quest Eleven route where your main character, Barathor, the first guy you're playing as, uh, is mostly equipped with like buffing abilities for the rest of the party. Like his whole thing is that he's like a leader. So he has a bunch of leadership abilities that he can use to, to buff the party in different ways. Your elf is kind of like your healer. You have like an archer who gets kind of long ranged enemies, ones who are flying, ones who are like far in the background because some of these battle environments are actually like pretty large. So you'll have to kind of be cognizant of where people are placed around and like who can actually hit an enemy that's far away. And then your dwarf who's obviously like running up and meleeing people and stuff. Um, And you get some more characters later on who I imagine do some more interesting things. But one of the things that I find really interesting about it is that I find the like leveling up in stats system to actually also be pretty parsable. Like it's you very quickly understand what each character is good for. And they have like, you know, kind of the classic D&D stats that all apply to the different things. And they have very helpful explainers for all of these things. But you very quickly learn like okay so my archer for example i'm using a lot of his special abilities and it's draining his ability points which is you know your like magic points essentially in this game it's draining his ability points really fast so i'm just gonna like bump up that stat because he's very survivable he just like doesn't have enough ability points to like do the things i need him to do in combat great easy cool good one of the more interesting things is as you're leveling up you're not unlocking abilities the way that you unlock new abilities is by using other abilities in that tree so for example barathor has you know like sword attacks that he can use go up and like hit stronger or like if i hit an orc with this attack it'll do more damage etc and he also has these leadership abilities that i was alluding to before which will buff the party in different ways every time you use one of those attacks or one of those moves in combat against the enemy it will actually give you more points towards unlocking more abilities in that tree so you're almost like rewarded for specking out your character by just playing the game in combat the way you want you don't need to actually like get a bunch of points and like dump them into a sphere grid or whatever to eventually unlock the thing you want you just continue to play the way you have been and your character will grow naturally in that direction because of that which is like really smart yeah totally. it's, like, it's like surprisingly really smart so that's lord of the rings the third age i've played actually a lot of it um it says i've completed four percent of the game which is shocking considering <laughs> i've played many many hours but i've made it through. oh this was like an insult when you see the numbers it does. Like, oh, come it, on give me yeah. more than that <laughs> um i've made it through the mines of moria at this point which essentially involves you going into the mines like almost immediately after the fellowship does to the point where you can hear Gandalf yelling at the fellowship, like down the hall from where you are as they're fighting the Balrog. And then, uh, because the Balrog falls down the pit into where you are, uh, you then need to fight the Balrog, uh, which is actually fun. It's very cool. I have a question for you, if you don't mind. Please. So hit me with as many questions as you want. I've been talking a lot. Now that you're 4% in, yeah. do you, do you have a gauge on whether or not the team wanted this to be kind of like another perspective on the adventures of the movies, like have a team that is trailing the main cast? Or do you think they had to do that just because of the rights? Like, do you think that that was the intention going in? Or is that a way they kind of maneuvered around everything? It's an interesting question. I would imagine that the original pitch was we want to make like a for real love letter to Final Fantasy in the Lord of the Rings world. And then like, you know, played with the hand they were dealt, essentially. Yeah, um, that makes to, sense. To me, actually, the Final Fantasy love letter part of it seems like the thing that they were going for more than anything else. And I imagine it's just like, okay, how can we work within that? I think the the decision to make it all three movies is pretty cool, you know, if that's what you're given. But I imagine just because they didn't have 
the access to the voice actors and I guess probably didn't want to like hire like other people to do impressions of like Orlando Bloom and stuff. They just decided to make this other party. I'll be interested to see if like it adds anything interesting at all narratively to it. That's not really even like why I'm there. You know, it just feels really good to play is kind of where I'm at. It's almost like the most mindless but RPG I've played in a long time just because like the places you can go are pretty straight and narrow. Like there's really no there's not a whole lot of deviation off the uh, beaten path. But if you are able to explore, it's all always ending in some kind of reward or like some kind of other boss that I found like a side boss or like another quest or something that I'm completing and getting a bunch of experience for. You're always being rewarded for your curiosity in what limited ways they're giving you any way to exert your curiosity, um, which is very funny. <laughs> That's kind of how 10 felt too. I mean, like you said, like, yeah, a lot of 10 is like kind of deceivingly linear. I mean, like, again, I think linear is often used as a negative trait. It's really not as long as that's the intention, right? And I think 10 is very linear in the beginning because, you know, it's sort of this like, fish out of water story uh, with Titus and entering another world and then like learning about it. And, you know, that sort of early stages of the adventure, I think it's kind of fun how as 10 goes on, the paths begin to kind of widen. So like, yeah, by the end of that, not to spoil anything, but by the end of the game, you have an airship and you can go anywhere. Mm -hmm. And like, I've always enjoyed that. A lot of a lot of my favorite Final Fantasies have that kind of like ramp up of exploration where it's like, OK, we've like kind of shown you what we want to show you of this world. Now you can go anywhere. Yeah. Uh, obviously, the, the famous example of that is FF7 with leaving Midgar and like still being on like, you know, there's still like a desired path. You've got to go to Comtown, Chocopa Ranch, avoid the Midgar Zalem and then uh, end up at Juno Harbor. Uh, mm -hmm. But, you know, like you could go to Fort Condor first or you could like, you know, it, it's still linear, but it's now wider. And then eventually it's completely open. Um, it sounds like this game is doing a similar thing. Yeah, I would say that this game is definitely more linear than that. Even yeah. it, it is very much like a go from one save point to another kind of thing. But even within that, what I what I think they really nail just because of the nature of like, I think I think this game was kind of created with the understanding that like there was a desire for games like Final Fantasy that weren't Final Fantasy in a way. Like, I, th I think there were a lot of developers around when Final Fantasy and Dragon Quest came out that were like really trying to eat their lunch and like make other JRPGs that were like in that style. Some worked and some didn't. You know, some are still around. Fantasy Star, for example, is like still here. Star Ocean is still here. There are a couple other series like that that are like still around and alive and kicking. But a lot of them just like kind of fell by the wayside. And I think it's really interesting that EA eventually was like, well, we have this Lord of the Rings IP that we can fuck around with. Why don't we see if we can like take a bite out of the Final Fantasy sandwich also? And specifically, I think the brilliance of this game is that they didn't just try to make Final Fantasy, but with Lord of the Rings, which I think would feel like a little bit like a step too far in the like, we're straight up just copying this for almost nefarious reasons. But they made it really fucking accessible. Like they made it really easy to play if this is your first ever RPG, if you've never played a game with turn-based combat before. It really is just kind of a very like easy breezy experience, kind of because there's not a whole lot of openness to it. And because the game is kind of conforming to however you want to play and not demanding too much of you in terms of like figuring out what your character's builds are going to be because they're kind of already set when you pick them up and they join your party. And then the more you play the way you want, the better they will be at the things you like them doing. Honestly, like I, f I find that really, really successful. I find that to be 
one of the more interesting things about this game. But there is that side of me that feels like this is a thing that you and I talk about a lot with like Breath of the Wild and Souls games specifically, where it's like, you know, what did, what did you take from this genre for inspiration for your game, right? Like, how, how yeah. are you making your mark on this genre that's not just, as we always say, like bonfires and fog walls or, you know, a big open world that looks like a Miyazaki movie, but you also have an, a hang glider. Like, those are not <laughs> those are not the things that make those games. Yeah. I find, personally, despite what people said in 2004 when this game came out, that this game is actually, like, a really good attempt at trying to make a turn-based RPG um, that's not in the realm of, like, a a final fantasy or a dragon quest like they really did a good job which is weird to like be re-examining this game i've never heard of from 2004 by accident but uh i'm just saying maybe those reviewers should check it out again think about it with with a, a new lens a fresh perspective i think it's interesting to think about games that specifically highlight specific final fantasy because i think the thing about final fantasy as a series is that they they will always do something new like every final fantasy is its own world with brand new mechanics which is exciting but it also means that like anything that came before is sort of torched like they just like (laughs) kind of toss it behind and move on so like I, i remember you brought another game to the show that like highlighted nine as an influence so it's like Mm -hmm. you have all these hits in the series that have inspired other games i think it's actually really interesting to see games that are like there was something really interesting happening in this final fantasy and we're gonna like take that and run with it i think bravely default is very much a series that is like tethered to uh fives focus on gameplay and on like uh, customizing classes and stuff And then I think you have other games like, you know, that are trying to harken back to a certain aesthetic style of like early PlayStation games. And I think FF10 has a lot of really interesting systems. I think honestly, that is one of the stronger turn-based combat systems in Final Fantasy. You know, I think that might be the best one, honestly. I think I agree with you. Yeah. Um, Out of all the ones that I've played, um, I really, I mean, as we've talked about, I'm not a huge fan of the ATB system. I don't find it to be very interesting. Final Fantasy X, they, I think they called it like the CTB system. Yes, they did. They called it the CTB system. Uh, I don't know what that stands for, but that's what they called it. But uh, I, I I really appreciated that change. You know, I, I played Final Fantasy X before I played a lot of other ones. But, you know, now going back and having played a lot of that franchise, like I really do appreciate the fact that they decided to kind of take it back to its roots a little bit with with that version. And I feel and Lord of the Rings is doing that system like it's doing that system to a T, which is kind of, again, one of the sillier things about, I think, the response to it, which I, I understand in 2004 when you're like, this is a rip off of Final Fantasy X because Final Fantasy X had just come out. But playing this game in 2022 is a completely different experience Yeah, because now this is just like another thing in the library of games in history that I can go check out at any point unhooked from time. And oh, wow, it plays just like Final Fantasy X. I love that game. I like this game, too. Are there any uh, summons in this game? Because that was actually one of my favorite things about FF10. Not that I know of yet, but I am really hoping to unlock some. Because <laughs> the way summons worked in Final Fantasy X, for those who don't know, is like in Final Fantasy VI, seven, eight, and nine, summons were like you would choose an attack someone would show up and like it would just be like a, a, a visual spectacle and they would do a bunch of damage. So like in the early games, you would just like see them show up in seven because it was the first like fully 3D Final Fantasy. There were these like really dramatic cutscenes for every summon Um, and eight kind of doubled down on that. And eight almost has like a persona esque approach at the summons themselves. But when they showed up in combat, it was just the same move always. And same with nine. Right. Ten 
when you summoned, you know, Ifrit or Shiva, they would have their dramatic entrance and then they would just be a character. So like you would control them the same way you would control Waka or Arin and she was like attack special move. I, I loved that. I love like, like actually give us the control of that character. Yeah. Uh, it was so fun. It was really cool. Yeah. Yeah. I just looked it up and yes, you can get summons in this game. Uh, it's like an ant or like a dragon. That's sick. Honestly, yeah. <laughs> I might I might get this just for that. I, I, I feel like if you were a team of people who are like, we love FF10, there's got to be summons because that is like one of the selling points. Yeah, it's on. It's look, I, I can understand like a cynical take on this game and I just have found it to be a joy. Like it's it really has surprised me and has been the game over the past couple of days while I've been quarantined that I have really gone back to a whole lot, like way more than I was expecting. I've been playing like that and Dragon Quest eight side by side for the past week. And it's been so good. I uh, I had one Lord of the Rings game for PS2. And I can safely say I got the short straw. Because the one I played was not based on the movies. It was based on the books. It was, I think, before even Fellowship had come out. And yes. it's you as Frodo doing actual chores for everyone in the Shire. Oh my and God. then the ring wraiths show up and like you just can't do it. Like that is like the one constant in my life is I know I gave it away so I don't have it anymore. But there, there's no reality in which I could figure out how to leave the Shire without the ring wraiths catching me. Like I tried sneaking. I tried not moving at all. I tried running. They got me every time. It was infuriating. It was oh, one man. of those like childhood moments with a game where I just like am eternally stuck and there's almost a comfort in that even yeah. though I'm like so angry at the game uh, and then I realized I'm like wait this game sucks why do I even care <laughs> and, I, and I moved on with my life but man that was not the game to get I should have gotten third age I uh I gotta I gotta know which game that is um, I think it's just called Fellowship of the Ring yeah the Lord of the Rings and Fellowship of the Ring yes here we go developed by WXP Games yeah so there was uh, a collection of studios that shared the rights to the books Lord of the Rings that were making games at the same time that uh, EA was making games based on the movies uh, so they made two they made that one Lord of the Rings and Fellowship of the Ring that you were talking about they made another one called The Hobbit as well which uh, also I remember not doing very well when it came out like I, I specifically remember like being barely tuned into games media at the the time in 2003 i think that was and hearing like this game is rough <laughs> uh, but i had not even heard of this other one but now i'm like dying to check that out too uh so stay tuned dear listener because i sure i'm gonna do that i was very it was it was the era of games like you would give anything a shot like you have so much time as a kid you're like why not i'll, yes. I'll play this i'll play this for like three weeks yeah <laughs> with all my free time i'm so oh sorry that God. that's the one that you got because like almost every other lord of the rings game like if you put your hand in a bag and all the lord of the rings <laughs> games were there the odds are that you would get like a great actually life-changing video game yeah or you'd get like detention the game yeah <laughs> i look dear listener if you're listening to this and you've played lord of the rings the third age and you thought it was fucking terrible like please tell me i'm actually really curious what people thought about this game when it came out you know outside of just like games media and reviews and stuff like i'm really curious like what if you grew up playing this or if this was like your first rpg or something with turn-based combat like i really do want to hear about it let me know because i'm i'm curious if this game like succeeded at doing the thing it wanted to do in terms of being an entry point to that genre because i as a person who likes the genre uh i'm finding it to be like just kind of a very nice time so yeah lord of the rings the third age for yeah. PlayStation 2. It was also on GameCube and Xbox and PC. This was an era where like most things came out for all three systems. The first yeah. Xbox, PS2, GameCube. What, what a dream. What a dream. Cast? Uh, 
Sorry. You want to move on to questions? <laughs> I would love to move on to questions. Let's take a break and then do that. See you soon. Bye-bye. Brendan. Steven. We you are caught back. me while I was taking a drink of water. Yeah, well, you got to be prepared for anything. It's a good thing I didn't spit it out. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, a good spit take is good audio, you know? That's true. I'm amazed we don't have more. I feel like there are many times where a reaction would have been a spit take, but I wasn't sipping anything. Mm. What anyway. I want to do is go back into previous episodes of our show <laughs> and, and edit rep- in edit in the audio. <laughs> and I just won't tell anyone ever that it happens until somebody one day in the discord is like, I love that spit take that happens in episode 15. And everyone will be like, what are you talking about? That's how we George Lucas, the show we just add in like spit like, takes <laughs> like, bang, like weird sound effects. <laughs> anyway, We have some questions here uh, from the listeners. Thank you so much for sending these in. I'm going to get us started. Cool. E.T. Gers asks, if you could have someone craft a perfectly tailored and 100% accurate cosplay costume for you, any video game character, what character would you pick and why? Dude, Barathor from Lord of the Rings of Third Age. (laughs) (laughs) You know everyone would think you're Aragorn. I'm Barathor from the Third Age! (laughs) For the Xbox. Yeah, for for the first Xbox. Not Xbox One, Barathor. <laughs> is that is that your answer? This no, is a it's, great it's question. Extremely not my answer. <laughs> this is a tailor made, one hundred percent accurate Barathor who's looking for Boromir. He didn't get the memo. He didn't watch the first movie. Do you have an answer? Do you have an answer off the top of your head? Oh my god! I have a more long winded answer, so I kind of want to just let you do whatever you're going to do first. I have only cosplayed once. Uh, at C2E2, I went one year as Porcaroso, which is a lot of fun. I didn't do the pig nose, but I had like a flight suit, the mustache, the sunglasses, the the pilot's cap. Mm. Um, it was honestly a lot of fun. My mindset going in was like, I just want to be kind of part of the crowd. You know, I want to be like mm. doing my part to celebrate this event. I didn't expect people to like want pictures with me or of me. Uh, it was actually really fun. It was really nice. Like That's so cool. There's a day of C2E2 that is more cosplay centric. And like there are some people who like that's like their career, obviously, and they're like, there to show off whatever they've been making yeah so it was cool to like show up and like be a small part of that so with that in mind i'm thinking of like what would be a huge for me what's comfortable wearing a flight suit was super comfortable and it read well so it's like okay there are characters that i love that i wouldn't really want to dress up as but then there are characters that i think would be comfortable to be and also would be immediately recognizable Mm. you guessed it i'm talking yangus for one i think yangus (laughs) Would be great. It's oh. pretty much just like an open shirt and a weird hat. We're so just like, in the era of Yangus on this yeah. show. So Yangus <laughs> is a choice. The other one that I've honestly been close to doing, but I don't know if I had the materials for, so I might I might say for this question, is uh, Steiner from FF9. Oh, yeah. The knight with the feather. I think that that could be a lot of fun. Talk about comfortable, because that would not be. <laughs> yeah, I have kind of a broad build, so I feel like Yangus or Steiner would be like, I could I could pull those off Yeah, in, in a fun way. I do feel like you got to do Steiner at some point in your life. Yeah, that if I was like cast in a stage play of a Final Fantasy, it would be Steiner. That's yeah. like the the comic relief baritone. It's like fuck. I'm, yeah, that's like all I need. They would cast me as Barathor. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't even say it's, it. Barathor is Barathor is a backstage role. <laughs> you oh, are no. you are everyone's understudy. <laughs> So tonight's performance of King Lear is King Larry. 
what happened before when Lear was here? What happened before when Rose was here? Or Reagan, <laughs> I'm sorry. Our alignment chart on the show in this era currently is Yangus and Barathor. They're very much on the opposite <laughs> ends of the spectrum here. <laughs> well, what was the previous alignments? I'm curious. I don't know. I'm sure somebody could sure, come yeah, up with yeah, them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, are, you, are you lawful Yangus or chaotic Barathor? <laughs> Or Gav. I think I've seen that guy in the movies. <laughs> no, no, no. You got it mixed up. <laughs> hey, Granddad. <laughs> <That's very> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or Granddad. Is that Boromir? Nah, it's not him. It's not him. <laughs> That's Barathor, isn't it? Well, anyway, my answer to this question is... <laughs> Uh, honestly, this is this is the thing I've been thinking about for like a a very long time. Like predating uh, Animal Crossing: New Horizons, I have been thinking about this, and I I want this deeply in my life. So I'm just gonna say it because I'm never gonna be the person who makes this happen. But I want so badly to have some kind of service that exists on the internet, like some kind of thing that you can do where you can go. And like check out a drop down menu of every item in Animal Crossing, like every clothing item that you can get. And it tells you exactly what the most realistic thing you can get in real life is that seems like that item in in Animal Crossing. I want so badly to build outfits in Animal Crossing and then make them real and like own those outfits yeah. in my actual wardrobe, um, which I know is a little bit of a swerve from like the cosplay angle here. But that's just a thing I think about all the time because so frequently I will have like a fit together in Animal Crossing that I'm like, I would look sick in this in real life and i really want to like go online and figure that out and the reason that i think about this in tandem with cosplay is because i know a a bunch of people in the cosplay world just because of my job and uh they're very good at this specifically. Like yeah. this is this is a a skill that a lot of like very good longtime cosplayers have, where they can like watch a thing on TV and within minutes, like sometimes even like a trailer will come out for a thing, and by end of day that day they will have already acquired all of the items they need to have that outfit immediately. Like they will know how to source the exact shirt that one character is wearing in one second of a trailer. And uh, I always I always think about that. I always think about how hard. It it is to acquire that talent and how badly I want to do that for Animal Crossing. And also how like sometimes like you might get the exact item, but it won't like visually read as the character. Like um, my, my friend was really good at cosplay. She recently did Ronnie and she got like a clear mask to put on the side of her face. It looked so cool. Mm. Like to kind of like have that like ghost double. Um, yeah. But yeah, my my answers would be Yangus Steiner. And honestly, I would love just to go fully as Javert and ideally find a Valjean and just burst into song at some point. Um, <laughs> Want to move on to the next one? Yeah, let's do it. Slayer of Pizza asks, how do you guys find the time to play through so many games? I work in a kitchen, so I'm not home from about 1.30 p.m. to 11 p.m. And I just get really tired. And even though I want to, I can't open up a game and play. I know you have full time jobs, so I'm just curious how you balance. This is a great question. We, we've been asked this before, and I think it's the short answer is like it's always a process. I think like anyone, you know, who has a full time job, I think balancing anything else is always like finding a routine. Um, I think for games for the show, you and I are pretty good about for like a weekly episode, especially there's not a hard ask of like, you know, getting to a certain point or beating it or whatever. Like I think for for most 
quote unquote normal episodes every week. I, I try to have it be what would I be playing organically, even if I wasn't doing this show? What would be something of interest to me? I think that like I try to match the normal rhythm that I would otherwise. I think the only time it becomes a bigger ask where we I actually have to like set time aside for games is, is when we do a bonus or when we do stuff like the season premiere. Yeah. Even the bonuses like I think are not usually a huge ask. I think, you know, because we have all month to do it, it's usually like spread out pretty decent. Yeah, and some of I, the bigger ones we plan so far ahead of time that like we can space it out like the mass effect trilogy for example we had planned like two ish months before it before we recorded it so like we had enough time to play through the whole trilogy um that being said though i mean this is i I think it's it's different every week and i mean i'm lucky enough that you know even though i'm working full-time like it's a job that i can leave at five you know it's something that i and i work remotely Mm -hmm. too which i think helps a lot but even if i you know was still commuting i think finding time in the day to like either like play on the train or, or, or whatever. I mean, honestly, it all boils down to just finding a routine and also within that routine, making sure that you maintain a balance where you're not like forcing it to happen. Cause I think with anything, cause I also do a lot of illustration and that also requires a lot of budgeting time for, and that's something where like there was a long time where, uh, I think I mentioned this before, but there was a period of time where when I first started taking drawing seriously, I would go to bed at seven to wake up at 3 a.m. so I could draw for four hours before work, which I would not recommend doing because no. <laughs> at that point you're, you're not taking care of yourself and you're not investing in the other parts of your life. And at the end of the day, we do this show because we love recording together and we love playing these games. And the minute that stops being fun is when we're not doing the show right. So I think that like finding time and keeping that time sacred, no matter how long it is. I think also with games, a lot of them are such a big ask and they're built to be, especially like in the AAA space, they're built to be these like giant kind of never ending things. But I think like if it's something that you want to reinvest in as a hobby, you know, carve out some time for yourself. Like, okay, you know what? I'm going to make this like an active part of my day where I give this time for myself. And even if that's once a week, I have a lot of thoughts about this and I think it kind of bleeds into other areas, but I think like yeah. that's largely our routine for the show. And I think we've been doing it long enough that the, that it feels natural. And I think that's also another thing is like committing to a routine and, and finding how it works for you and not forcing it to work because you're, you're adding too much pressure to the, to the thing. I think we all need to realize that like we should be enjoying our lives and making our time here as meaningful as possible. And I think that it's more important to find a routine that works for you than to cram in as much time as possible for whether it's gaming or, or pursuing a hobby or whatever, like find a routine that works for your schedule and for yourself. Yeah, I really uh, that was really well said. First of all, thanks. The other thing I'd add, honestly, uh, on top of that is really just kind of ask yourself when you have free time, like, what is it that I want to be doing? And if the answer is not playing video games and like, don't push yourself into doing a thing, you know, just because like you say you want, like, if you actually want to do it, then you'll do it. That having been said, and and this is not to like dunk on other things that you could be doing, but I, I do think it's worth examining what you are spending your time doing, you know, your free time. Like, what are you ingesting from like a media diet perspective or how are you spending that free time? Like, 
like uh, a couple days ago, I caught myself on TikTok for like an hour and a half. And then at the end of that, I was like, I actually really wish that I had been doing something else with that time. I like checking TikTok every once in a while. I don't think TikTok is bad, to be clear. I like it. I like making things for TikTok also. So like, it'd be very silly of me to be like, TikTok's bad. But like when you're there for an hour and a half by accident, usually that means that like you could have spent that time doing something else. So I, I think it is worth examining like when you are in those moments where it's like, okay, cool, I have free time. What am I going to do with this? Ask yourself what you want to be doing. And if you just like mindlessly kind of find yourself wading into the water of doing something that like maybe isn't actually fulfilling at all, then like, yeah, like maybe put in a little bit of the effort that it takes to do something more fulfilling in that case. I, I think in the case of you and I playing so much stuff for the show, a lot of the case is like, you know, I, I think one of the earliest things that I had to get over was playing Destiny as much as I did. Destiny was very much a game that like wasn't bringing me enjoyment anymore. But I sure had like a thousand hours in it and was going to put another thousand hours into it. And I don't think that that was like good for me. And I don't think I was like broadening my horizons or changing anything about my worldview because of it. And putting that game down like for good for good and saying to myself, I'm going to spend this time that I would have been spending Destiny checking out things that will allow me to kind of open up my scope of my understanding of this medium and how I feel about it and will in turn also make the show better. To be clear, there was also that underlying motivation of like, I wanted this show to be good and I couldn't bring Destiny every week. But (laughs) that understanding that like like film or books or television, it is worth reaching outside of your comfort zone and trying new things and seeing what's cool and good. So there is kind of that aspect to it. You know, when you're asking like, you know, how do we find the time to play through so much stuff? It is a little bit of like a personal drive to have a better understanding of the medium. Like there is a little bit of it that is kind of technically work, whether we like it or not. Sure. So uh, that would be my that would be my addendum to the thing that you said, which was very well put. I think what you said was very insightful as well. I think you're right to bring up like if games aren't the thing that is naturally calling you like even before we were doing this show i was in my i just beat persona 4 in two weeks mode so like right there was something a brewing in me that was leading to having a podcast with you about video games but i i feel like in in my years like after college i found i was way more likely to play games or read than to watch movies or watch tv yes i, I still love film and i and shout out to our friends at eye of the duck that show has really reinvigorated me watching more film and like me too you know revisiting movies that i loved so like sometimes it takes a little bit of a push but i think you know sometimes you also have to prioritize okay i i can't just like i'm not just consuming everything for the sake of it what do i actually want to discover and with games too one last note i think that like again when we're doing like a normal episode we can bring whatever we whatever time we had you know i try to preface like was this a game that i've already played a large amount of that i can actually like confidently speak to the game itself or is this more of a first impressions like i played the first 40 minutes and like did i play the first four percent and beat the bell rug <laughs> right and in the case of like of, of lord of the rings the third age a, lo- a lot of that conversation was sort of about the time it came out ip games yeah. The FF10 influence. There's a lot that can be said. I think you and I are confident enough in each other that like we'll know we'll have a natural flow to the conversation, even if it's not explicitly 100% about the game itself. Yeah. So that that helps take the pressure off. Like we always have to have something. Also, some weeks, uh, you know, I, I think this episode in particular, like we have a, a nice array of stuff. But like I, I actually have been devoting all my free time to the DS episode, right. which I'm so excited for, if you can't tell. And, you know, those are the moments that like take a little bit extra but it is kind of fun it's fun to have like two parts of the year you know goatee and the season premiere to have like a little bit 
more asked of us that way we can kind of go back to our natural rhythm for the rest of the year yeah which is fun yeah i'm totally with you hopefully that answers your question i think we should move on to the next one cyclex i asked this on discord as well but wouldn't mind a pod answer from the two of you what are your feelings on collecting games physically any games you've gone out of your way to get physical copies of for whatever reason does condition matter especially with retro fantastic question i actually did see this in the discord and i talked a little bit about it so i'll I'll go first just to kind of get mine out of the way quickly um ultimately i for new releases i say most of the time i go digital thankfully i have a large enough sd card and switch that i don't have to worry about space and i have hard drives for the other systems physical copies i will get if i especially like the game or if there's like a little bit of a reason to get it so i've mentioned before that um Celeste had limited edition physical copies that had like a little instruction booklet in it. My friend got me the steel book of uh, Persona 5 Royal, which I love. And I also have the steel book of FS7 Remake. So like I will get physical copies if it's like a meaningful thing, especially with retro games. I found that in preparation for both the DS and the Game Boy Advance, even if it's out of the box, I'll get a physical copy just as like a little reminder of what I especially loved from that system. Because I also really, I like playing on the original hardware. You know, I, I understand that like it's not always the ideal way, but I just, something about it, I just like experiencing it that way. So I'm, I'm kind of a half and half scenario where I think that I almost see it kind of like how I currently experience music, where like most of the time I will be streaming music, but if there's a band that I really want to support or an album I really love, I'll get it on vinyl Mm -hmm. and i kind of feel that way with games not that like the physical game is going to be a higher sound quality but just like having it and knowing that like no matter what happens to the system or or to my account like i physically have this which i I do think is kind of important so that that's my take on on physical media currently yeah you and i mostly align on that we're almost one-to-one i think i i definitely buy less physical media i think than you do um when it comes to games specifically uh i used to i used to buy a lot of physical media i used to be like a physical only person i would never go digital for anything i i think i was doing that mainly as like a rebuke of the way digital e-shop like storefronts were kind of going and the idea of like not owning your stuff uh was freaking me out and then eventually i was like honestly the convenience factor of having all this stuff downloaded on my 3ds is like way worth it so eventually just moved over entirely to digital and uh that's been very good for me and allowed me to kind of like free up a lot of actual physical space in my life um yeah. to to make that shift that having been said i definitely do pick up physical copies of games that mean a lot a lot to me you got me this amazing uh copy of hollow knight uh which is the only physical switch game i own outside of ring fit uh in the only reason oh, I have wow. Ring Fit is because you can only get it physical. That was the only thing. Um, but I don't have any more Switch games beyond that one because nothing, honestly, in the Switch library has stood out to me enough where I'm like, I want to get have a physical copy of this to put on my shelf outside of that. I have considered Dragon Quest Eleven S Echoes of Elusive Age Definitive Edition, uh, obviously. But my thought process with that game specifically is like, I might get something else that is representative of that that is not a copy of the game. And I think that's kind of where you and I both align and differ in some cases where I think you want the physical copy of the game and also sometimes like a physical totem representative of that game. I'm very much a like, I want a totem that represents that thing, whether that be like a pin on my pin board or, you know, like the amiibo of hero from Dragon Quest, like something like that. (laughs) 
honestly would be fine as well. I just look behind me and there are there are five pieces of Mass Effect memorabilia in some yeah. capacity. See, there you go. Keeping track. Yeah. So that's that's kind of where I land on it is um, I will buy physical copies of things if I feel like very strongly about them. That having been said, I know this is a little silly because like just a couple episodes ago, I was talking about my like retro game haul when I went and picked up a bunch of stuff for the Nintendo DS. Look, Kirby Mass Attack is not a game that means a whole lot to me. I'll be honest. <laughs> Um, but I, uh, I wanted to, uh, you know, I was walking into this new retro store and I wanted to support it and I just felt good about doing that. And I don't know how long I'll hold on to those games. If I'm being totally honest, I do find that dragon quest means enough to me that I am very much like picking up those games, but I am very much not a retro game collector. Like that is not the kind of person that I foresee myself being. But for example, like when you and I finished the game boy advance bonus, I went out and bought a copy of golden sun. Not that that game made either of our top 10 lists, but I do feel like that game is so indicative of everything that you and I went through to make that it's so funny to say like went through but that's kind of what it felt like and that's what it feels like again with the ds yeah that game is so indicative of what it felt like to go through the process of making that episode that i've really wanted a physical copy of golden sun to just like have forever as like a totem to represent that episode so like sometimes it kind of bleeds even outside of what the game itself is and represents yeah sometimes it, it means something greater than that so that's kind of where i'm at at the moment um i really i really don't buy a lot of physical stuff unless i'm like going into a retro store and i very much want to support them for some reason or another unless it's dragon quest then i will buy it uh as soon as i see it <laughs> yeah i have actually a decent amount of switch games i think at first i was buying them all physically because i didn't have the sd card yet so like i have like breath of the wild and mario mm-hmm. kart and a few other physical copies the most recent ones i got other than celeste were 13 sentinels i got a physical copy of that's honestly i think next on my list yeah it comes with like little art postcards which is fun and i also got kirby because i was at the store that i like and i just wanted to support them and i got both games Nice. Uh, and honestly, Kirby the Forgotten Lands immediately means a lot to me. So I'm glad I did. It's <laughs> great. See, I think I think we're largely on the same page there. Uh, let's move on. TK, is there something not video games related you're excited about right now? Great question. I'll say uh, right off the bat, because I think it probably already happened by the time this episode came out. But uh, Apple's Worldwide Developer Conference is happening soon, which means that they're announcing a new version of iOS. And I'm like so in the weeds on that stuff that that's a thing that excites me greatly. So I'm like really excited to see what the new version of iOS is going to be like. Um, We'll know (laughs) by the time this episode is out uh, if it's good or bad. Every year, I just want them to do something like I want my iPhone to be like a completely different thing whenever they introduce a new version of iOS. And I know that's not going to be the case like ever. Like I know that they will never actually do it. But every once in a while, I just want them to make like a really huge monumental shift because I remember like years ago, I think it was iOS 7 specifically dropped. And that was when they went to like the minimal design like they had this cumorphic design for everything where like everything looked like physical and tactile and was like trying to represent objects in real life then eventually they were like well no this is a digital object like it can be digital doesn't need to be skeuomorphic doesn't need to represent physicality and then ios 7 was like this huge overhaul which honestly went too far in the other direction and they've been kind of scaling it back ever since um but i just want like a big monumental shift like that again like i want them to take a really huge chance at some point so that's my it's my immediate answer even though it's technically already happened by the time this episode's out (laughs) Yeah, my I'm I'm thinking a little bit about this. Nothing like immediately comes to mind, but there are some other things I'm excited about. Honestly, I'm really excited to go to Pitchfork this summer. Oh yeah. I've gone to their festivals a decent amount. I feel like for me that going to that festival has been on my to do list for so long. So I've been really trying to like reconnect with Chicago as a place. I think something that I've noticed after like quarantine is like I, I struggle to like get back in touch with like 
other places other than like, you know, other people's houses or my own, <laughs> you know, and I'm trying to yeah. like do more like, oh, like I live in a big city. I should be like engaging with that in some capacity. Mm. I do think that like I find that there's something really psychologically refreshing to me about just like being part of live music and like just being like part of the crowd. I, I really love the the park that that festival is in. In terms of other art, I'm excited to see the new season of Barry. Um, on HBO. Oh yeah. Uh, that show is really wild. I, <laughs> I'm just like, I won't spoil it, but I feel like the way the last season ended, I'm just like very, very curious what comes next. So that's exciting. And I'm also very excited for the new Jujutsu Kaisen coming out next year. Mm. Uh, so that's, that's some TV stuff. Yeah. I, I kind of want to go down that rabbit hole too, actually real quick. Uh, if you don't yeah. mind, um, sure. I just finished watching the new season of stranger things this weekend, which was really great. There are two more episodes that are coming in July. So I would say I'm very much looking forward to that. I'm very excited about that. I, I've definitely had an on and off kind of vibe with stranger things. It's, it's a thing that sometimes I think means a lot to me and I really love. And sometimes I'm like, I don't really care about this that much. Um, and yeah. I don't really know why that is because like nothing changes about the media. It's still the same. Um, it's just like my relationship with it changes over the years but every time a new season comes out i watch it and i'm like wow i love this uh and that's how i very much felt about season four so i'm excited to see that wrap up especially considering the last episode is apparently like a whole ass movie that's exciting (laughs) to me um what i'm most excited about though honestly is like when that show is over like season four is going to happen. And then season five, I think they said is going to be the last one. If I'm not mistaken, I'm really excited for like all those kids in that cast to go off and do cool, interesting things and like be free from stranger things. I'm excited to see what the Duffer brothers do next when they're unhooked from Netflix and stranger things. Um, I'm sure Netflix will give them like a blank check to make whatever they want to make next. But regardless, I'm just excited to see like what else they have going on. Cause I'm sure their thing isn't only horror. If I were to guess, I would guess they would yeah. want to make other things. Like it's one of the things I've been most interested in with the Russo brothers who famously did a lot of the Marvel Studios stuff and kind of like set the tone for what a lot of the MCU looked like around phase three and four with Captain America and the Winter Soldier and then the Avengers movies. Um, that was all them. That was all their vibe. And it was very clear that they were like very competent directors. And I wanted to see what they did when they were not making Marvel movies anymore. And now they're starting to make other stuff. And it looks like wild. Like, it looks so fun and interesting and cool. And I, I want that for the Duffer Brothers. I want to see what they're doing next. That's awesome. I'm also very excited for whenever uh, what we do in the shadows comes back. Yo, yeah, for real. <sighs> so good. Also, I'm just, I just want to shout out Spy, uh, Spy Family. Spy Family is so good. I'm really excited to watch that. You recommended it to me recently. Uh, incredible show. Yeah. And the manga is great, too. Recommend both. This next question from TK, I want to talk about also real quick, just because, again, by the time this episode comes out, we will know the answers to a lot of this, which is fun. But what are your Summer Games Fest predictions? I know State of Play already happened. But what are you hoping to see for Microsoft, Nintendo, and other big publishers? I feel like this would be a fun thing to do because this is like a little time capsule. Uh, so we can see yeah. if you're right about anything uh, before it happens. But <laughs> do you uh, do you have any have any theories or anything you just like want less of like do you have any theories but more like anything that you're like hoping to see from from Microsoft or from Nintendo? Yeah, I mean, if I had to guess, I I kind of expect a low Nintendo involvement here because like they tend to do their own directs for for big things. So I think that's what we're saying. Like, what what do you think the Nintendo direct for this season is going to be? Because I'm sure they're going to do one. I guess so you're just saying more like what do I kind of want to see from the big three in, in the latter half of the year, basically. Yes. Cool. Man. For Nintendo, Splatoon comes out in September. And past that we have no other than Pokemon, we have no like direct confirmation on anything, right? 
yeah i think it's just xenoblade chronicles is is uh right later in the year than that oh no that's soon isn't that soon i'm just gonna i think it's july yeah <laughs> uh you're right that is july yeah so yeah splatoon is september you're right and then after that we don't know anything for nintendo um oh no we know pokemon is november now right right so i think for nintendo i'm like kind of good the only thing that i'd <laughs> really love to see is uh ports of wind waker and Twilight princess i think that that feels like a given yeah i mean i don't fully expect it but it feels like something that would be cool given that breath of the wild sequel is delayed till next year so yeah, so that's kind of all I really want from Nintendo. I also would love, like, you know, I think, like, I'm good for stuff coming out this year. I'm always open for fun announcements. So, obviously, a new Fire Emblem would be cool. I feel like Three Hopes, while I'm very excited for it, it feels like the kind of in-between game for whatever the next, like, mainline Fire Emblem game is. Mm-hmm. So, I wonder if we'll get news about that soon. I'm trying to think if there are other series, like, we haven't seen nintendo's first party but that's that's all i got for now for microsoft i would love to see more info on what starfield is going to be (laughs) i know they pushed that back to 2023 as well but i'm kind of hoping to get a little bit more information about that game yeah i'm very excited i just don't really know a ton i feel pretty confident that we're going to see some gameplay yeah in in their event i i I feel pretty hopeful that that's going to happen even though they pushed it i know that bethesda's mo more recently has been like we don't show gameplay until the thing's about to come out but in this case considering they moved it i could see kind of like a like hey sorry we moved it but here's what the game is going to look like kind of experience there was i don't know if we learned anything new about this but there was that like it must have been like two years ago at least but there was that kind of elder scrolls ish game being developed by obsidian avowed yeah yeah, do we have have we heard anything about that? We've heard nothing no? about it, and that's exciting to me. That that was going to be one of the ones that I was going to say. I, that's yeah. like honestly one of my most anticipated games of Summer Games Fest or whatever their event ends up looking like. I just I really want to see anything about Avowed. Me too. Because I think Outer Worlds, while it wasn't, it didn't like blow me away. I did really enjoy that game, and I think that also showed like it was Obsidian being like, "Hey, we can make a good Fallout game without Bethesda." Yeah. So I feel like them now trying to do kind of an Elder Scrolls style thing in their own way. I'm really excited to see what that looks like. Yeah, I'm I'm stoked about that. Look, the the whole like corporate consolidation thing is definitely a bummer. Obsidian getting bought by Microsoft, though, I do feel like is one of the rare cases where like I want to see that added budget added to what Obsidian is trying to do cuz like you Outer Worlds felt like a good proof of concept for something that could be better and there is an outer worlds too in the works to be clear they're working on it I, i'm interested oh, yeah. to see what that's going to be about but i i want to see them have the budget to make the things that they clearly want to be making and i think avowed is kind of like a could be like a flag in the ground kind of experience you know um having avowed and elder scrolls both released by microsoft is like kind of wild in a way um it is a little bit <laughs> yeah. final fantasy and dragon quest yeah but um that having been said like i'm i'm stoked about avowed i i, I really want that game to be very good um even though i know almost nothing about it something about that trailer still haunts me like i still am very interested in it yeah and for sony i mean like I want to say New God of War is a kind of a, a default thing, but I still haven't played the first one. Yeah. Whoops. Which people like actually, it's the only time I've felt true anger from our listeners is about that I haven't gotten further th- than I have in, in the 2018 God of War. Eventually, we play a lot of games of the show. I will eventually get to it. Yeah. To be fair. I think once I play it, I will feel the way current listeners feel about me now about myself. So yeah. I get it. I get the anger. But, you know. I will say I will make a, a pledge here to (laughs) 
you and the listeners that if they announce God of War 2 and like a date for this year, for 2022, during Jeff Keighley's State of Play kickoff stream or whatever, then you and I will play through God of War this year before that game comes out yes. so we can talk about it. Because I, I have been waiting since our first game of the year episode to talk about <laughs> the end of that game with you. And I really would love to do it before the second one comes out, especially considering they've added like New Game Plus and a bunch of other stuff to it that I really actually do want to check out, but have literally been holding off on replaying that game until you are also playing it. So I'm excited to do that. Between Chrono Trigger and Undertale and Mass Effect and many other games that I have loved that I was very happy to share with you when you finally got to play them. <laughs> I owe you. It's it's more a matter of when than if. I think like if it yeah. comes out this year, that's great. That will be like a prioritized bonus. If it comes out next year, we will do it probably later. Um, yeah. But I think we will definitely do a God of War bonus of some kind. Yeah, so. it's, it's going to happen. I'm trying to think of other IP Sony stuff or for Sony first party stuff that I would be excited to see. I mean, I'm curious about the Wolverine game, obviously, from Insomniac. I feel like Insomniac has been like really releasing cool stuff in the last few years so i'm curious about that i'd like to see more otherwise i don't what else would be there right what like what is what is rumored so i'll, I'll just say some of the stuff that i'm interested in on on my end so i'm i'm hopeful that they announce a nintendo direct soon um you know yeah. summer direct and I, I think one of the things that i'm more curious about for you than for me is uh when is advanced wars one plus two reboot camp coming yeah. out considering it was like supposed to be out already and they pushed it due to the war in the ukraine uh which right. is like fucking brutal um but you know if that's your reason for pushing the game then when do you ever release it you know considering that doesn't seem like it's stopping anytime soon so that's kind of a it's kind of an open question, um, I, I think, on the Nintendo end. But outside of that, I mean, you know, Metroid 4 re-entered development with Retro Studios, I think, a year and a half ago at this point, maybe even two years ago. I'm curious if they're at a point where they want to show anything from that game again, or if they even want to, like, allude to Metroid at all. Because the last time we saw it was just the logo, like, years ago. Um, and I'm, I'm curious if they're like, OK, let's maybe hold off on showing Metroid until it's like ready. Yeah. But who knows? Who knows? Maybe maybe they'll they'll pull one out. I, I am expecting probably a more kind of long form look at Breath of the Wild 2 and maybe a title reveal. I think that that's probably in the cards for Nintendo, if I were to guess. That'd be cool. Yeah. I, I think they'll just like give us a kind of slightly larger understanding of what that game is and how it's different from the first one, because I, I imagine they'll want to start building hype for that as we gear up towards 2023. But outside of that, like Nintendo is kind of a, you know, always a weird question mark. Um, I really I really have no idea what to expect from them in most cases. So I'm just excited. I'm just like excited about whatever Nintendo brings to the table because their their summer directs are always like completely wild. Um, so, <laughs> yeah. Also, in a world where Smash Brothers is no longer like a definite to be shown like now i know even less you know um so that's <laughs> yeah. fun i'm excited about that um on the sony end kind of all over the place honestly uh i i'm expecting god of war 2 to show up at some point as uh as tk mentioned we already had our state of play which seemed like that is like the summer event probably sony is in an interesting place where it seems like they're doing them more frequently i think 
than anyone else's at this point anymore. They're just doing them at like a pretty fast clip. And because of that, all of them seem like okay for the most part. But I imagine if you were to take a lot of those announcements and combine them all into one like big event, you'd be like, wow, that was wild. I can't believe how much stuff there was. So I'll be curious to see if there's another event coming from them before the summer is over, like in this kind of summer of games kind of thing. But if not, like we have a pretty good idea of what their 2023 is already going to look like, which is pretty cool. Um, The only thing that's really missing is God of War, which I think, as you mentioned, just seems like it would be shown at Jeff Keighley's thing. And uh, outside of that, Xbox, I don't know. It's kind of like it's kind of their ball to drop at this point. You know, like it's all kind of in their hands, I feel like, because they're blending that and the Bethesda conference together this year, I think, for the first time is what they said officially. So I'm just like curious to see what they're going to come out with as we have talked about starfield got pushed to next year uh what was that other game was it redfall i think was the name of it also got pushed to next year which was um that kind of like witch and vampire hunting thing oh yeah which looked really cool even though it was just like a an animated trailer and not like actual gameplay but that i haven't said there's like so much stuff on my list of games that i'm like interested in but don't know anything about for example we got the new title for uh the sequel to jedi fallen order which is now called jedi I survivor i'm curious if that game is going to feel better than the first one because i know i know some people had their gripes with the story and i know some people had their gripes with the gameplay and i feel like both are like just passable enough to make that game like worth checking out if you like star wars at all um especially considering it's on like game pass and stuff it's like kind of a no-brainer if you're interested like you should check it out but that whole like uncharted narrative meets dark souls combat but like pared down a little bit to be easier and more accessible to people actually just ended up making it a little bit looser than it should be which means it doesn't feel as it doesn't feel as weighty and it doesn't feel as considered as from soft combat feels and i feel like if they put more emphasis on that it could end up being like a really strong sequel. I just feel like Jedi Fallen Order is very much like Assassin's Creed 1 in that it just set the blueprint. It set the foundation for what will be a great sequel. Um, So I want to see more of that. That's kind of like weirdly one of my most anticipated games of the next year or two or whenever. So every now and then it's like we play a game where it's like, I feel like the sequel is going to be the one. Scarlet Nexus was very much that for us too, where it's like, there are so many cool ideas here and like, it's a total mess, but like the game is really fun. So like there's something here that could really take off. Yeah. Um, We have a whole bonus about that if you want to hear more thoughts, but uh, (laughs) yeah, I, I also think, um, I was just thinking like in terms of Bethesda, because I'm like, I don't, you know, Starfield, I imagine will be like the end of next year, if I had to guess. And then, you know, Elder Scrolls six is like just like a a distant wish at this point. (laughs) So I'm like, is there is there room for anything in the interim? Like I know Bethesda is also like they publish a lot of stuff and there are other games outside of like just Elder Scrolls and Fallout. And that's kind of, I guess, why I'm excited for for Avowed, because I kind of am hungry for like a new Elder Scrolls game, but that doesn't necessarily need to be like the next big one, you know? Yeah, I'm, I'm also looking at the list of uh, participating partners in Summer Games Fest. And uh, I mean, there are some interesting ones in there, uh, like Atlas, for example, is showing something. Who knows what that's going to be? Yeah, that could be very interesting. Devolver is obviously going to have some stuff. Um, I'm interested in uh, Mahoyo, who make... Genshin Impact and they have another game that they're working on that's coming out soon as well like their big like Genshin Impact follow-up it's like a a different kind of game I'm curious if the long 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 awaited Genshin Impact for Switch will finally come out because I feel like that is going to be a huge 
monumental release for the year if that happens like that just seems like that's going to blow that game up to a whole different level it's already it's already big uh, but that feels like a whole other side of it i'm i'm very interested in uh warner brothers games showing some stuff because they're working on two games simultaneously that i'm very interested in one of them being gotham knights which i'm like actually like pretty stoked for um and the other one being uh suicide squad kill the justice league which i i just want to see some gameplay like i want to know how that game works it seems very interesting but uh yeah i don't know i'm i'm curious i'm curious about what's going on here with uh summer games fest i'm I'm excited to see notably obviously nintendo is absent from this because they're going to do their own thing but playstation and xbox both have announcements in the summer games fest lineup so i'm curious to see what they're going to both show there yeah i'm really excited for that but anyway if you're listening to this you already know the answer to that so uh (laughs) I I can't wait to see if any of this was real. (laughs) Yeah. The next question from TK is, what did you have for breakfast? This was exhilarating for me. This was a very exciting day. (laughs) What'd you have? So because I've been quarantined and inside, I've eaten through all of the food that we had. uh, So I had to get a, I had to get a grocery delivery because I couldn't go outside and you know, I, I don't get grocery delivery pretty much ever. It's like not a thing that I really do. I've done it like maybe three times in my life. Uh, once yeah. when I lived in New Jersey, once when I was in Paris, because again, I had COVID um, and needed to get food delivered. Um, and a third time here again because of COVID. Uh, but when you're on those apps and you're looking at all the stuff, they just like show you all the sales. It feels very like 90s, very like supermarket sweep. They're like, here are all the like great deals you get. And they had a deal on a lot of cereal. And I'm not a person who eats cereal very much anymore. Uh, and I got a huge, huge box of Honey Bunches of Oats with almonds. Uh, and that's the one. And uh, that's what I that's what I had for breakfast. I had Honey Bunches of Oats for the first time in like maybe years. Uh, and wow. man, that is a good cereal. I love cereal. I usually make like, I, I got really obsessed early in the pandemic with learning how to make the perfect scrambled eggs. That was like really a thing for me was like, <laughs> I tracked down every chef's different version of making scrambled eggs and mastered all of their techniques individually and then made my own version based on all of those that was just like a weird thing so like now i'm just like scrambled eggs guy like every morning i like make scrambled eggs in a different way just to like try it just to have fun uh so it was nice to have something different for once (laughs) i had a single banana and some coffee yeah Uh, which honestly is like one of my favorite breakfasts because i'm like i'm gonna go all out for lunch if i have a single banana (laughs) it's gonna be like an unhinged day because normally i'm a similar way i like having um i'll usually make eggs or like kind of a savory breakfast i usually am like a big breakfast person Cause I like, I like having like one big meal and then just like riding that out for the rest of the day. Yeah. And, uh, so single banana, I, I went all out for lunch and that was a lot of fun. Yeah. What kind of um, coffee are you drinking these days? I only drink cold brew as you know. Yeah. Are you, you're making it yourself? I usually do. So I usually have, um, various like coffee that I have in my, um, cold brew press that I'll leave in the fridge. Yeah. But lately I've been a little bit lazy and I've been getting the La Colombe uh, cold brew, which honestly I love. Oh, in the bottles. Yeah. Yeah. And the big bottles. Yeah. The persona bottles. There's blue, red and yellow. Um, yeah. So yeah, I'm a, I'm a big La Colombe fan for sure. Yeah. My thing as it started to get warmer and was no longer winter was I started going for long. I usually like to go for long walks in the morning before I start working. So I would like go for a long walk to a, a, a new cafe in the area and then get cold brew and then walk back, which definitely meant that I was like spending more money than I probably should have on cold brew because I was going out and buying it every morning. But um, I really didn't. I, I enjoyed that process. Um, and, you know, again, because I've been inside for a while, I've been able to do that. So I got um, I got a bag of blue bottle coffee beans. 
specifically the bold kind, which I would recommend if you're making cold brew with it, because uh, it translates very well to cold brew. Peace Coffee is my go-to. I had to look it up because I forgot the name. Cool. Yeah. I also I had a moment this morning where I realized because I put regular milk because I was, you know, eating cereal. Uh, I put regular milk in my coffee for the first time in like, again, a couple of years. Uh, and I did not like it. I did not like it, Sam. I am. I'm very much an oat milk guy and I really can't go back now. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I only have oat milk. I had like cow's milk for the first time, like in cereal uh, when I visited home and it was an awful experience. Very similar. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was fine with it in my honey bunches of oats with almonds, but not so much in my coffee. My mom also only gets skim milk. So when I visit home, I'm like, there's like a low probability I have to just like have a little bit of skim milk and it's like the worst day of my life. <laughs> <laughs> Otherwise, I love visiting home, but I know it's going to come paired with skim milk in some way. That's so funny. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you for that question, TK. We're thinking about skim milk out here uh, in these streets. <laughs> Let's uh, move on to this last question. This is from uh, Matt Horton in Discord who asks, how do you all keep yourself going to make the show and stream and make bonus episodes even when the day job is crazy and the world is the way it is? Asking for me. I wanted to, I wanted to answer this one on the show specifically just because I, I, I think it speaks to our larger philosophy about the show in general, which is like what we do for Into the Aether and what we do for everything that revolves around Into the Aether is very much about not overextending ourselves. We have been very, very cognizant and very, very on top of making sure that we're never like pushing ourselves too far into a realm where, you know, this is always going to be work. This is like we're definitely putting work into making this show. Um, As we talked about earlier in terms of like being able to play enough games for the show and how do we play so many games, et cetera, et cetera. It's a lot of like time management. It's a lot of like making sure that we're spending our time wisely to make sure that we can put an episode out every week about like new stuff, um, not new, new, you know, not like it just came out, but like new stuff, like we're bringing something interesting to the show every week. That having been said, our philosophy since the very start has been like, as soon as the show becomes a stressful part of our lives, then we need to really re-examine it. Um, and there have been, I, I, I want to be clear, there have been a couple instances where like you and I have talked to one another about instances in which like you were going too hard in the paint or I was going too hard in the paint for a thing. And we just had to be like, hey man, it's video games. Like it's going to be okay. Like we don't, we don't have to put this episode out this week or we don't have to do this specific thing or like, you know, even though we've committed to this in one way, shape or form, like if you're not enjoying it anymore, then don't do it anymore. I think that's an important thing to recognize is like, yeah, making things on your own terms and on your own time. And when you feel like creatively fulfilled and motivated to do it is definitely important. I do think there's always going to be an element of like, push yourself out of your comfort zone and do things even when you don't feel like it. Cause that's, that's what being like a person who does this for a living does you know like if you're an artist working full time like you kind of need to be able to work on the spot that having been said like you should never push yourself to the point of burnout because then you're just gonna be making worse work and I, i think you and i have been very very good about taking time when we need it taking it easy when we need it specifically you know instances in which like i don't know like you and i doing the chrono trigger bonus earlier in the year that was like that was like an intense thing to do you know that was like weirdly like difficult um and then the next month we like kind of took it more easy i i I remember our ratchet and clank rift apart bonus specifically came from like us being like stressed out having just done the game boy advance thing we were like man that was like so much that was so much to do let's just do a bonus about a game you and i like that we're playing right now anyway and want to talk more about sometimes you just need to make those concessions just to make the thing get out the door you know yeah it's it's like any i mean i think it's 
you know, having this kind of creative partnership and making something like it takes kind of maintenance and communication to keep going. I think the really reassuring thing about doing this show, though, is that like very rarely I, I think and this comes with just like experience, but like anytime we've like been a little bit hard on ourselves or a little bit like in our heads, like it's never felt um, impossible. It's never felt like like we have confidence in each other and in the show. And also what <laughs> what I think is a really good sign is like when we take a week off, we we have a million new ideas and new plans and we've yeah. played everything and like we are thinking about the show when we're not doing it which i think like that just means we found a really natural place for the show in our lives because again like we're working full-time we also have like our personal lives and all other creative pursuits as well so like i think i think you're right to bring up like it is work it is concentrated effort but it's also not like burnout. It's not making this if we if we spent every living minute on the show outside of work, we would resent it. And then you would hear that in the show. Um, you would totally. hear the resentment in the show. And I think we've avoided that, thankfully. So, yeah, I mean, and I think like the, the question kind of references, like, how do you keep going? Like in the midst of like just the state of the world and stuff. And like, I think. For me, and I imagine for you as well, like doing this show is a very positive ritual. The bulk of doing this show, it hit me the other day, the bulk of our show has been during the pandemic, yeah. which I, I can't imagine not having this during that time. Like I really, it, it was it was very difficult, obviously, for everybody, but I feel like the, the one kind of certainty I had was, like, okay, on Sundays, I'll, I'll be recording and I know that that will be a good time. Right. And like having like any kind of positive ritual like that, it, it doesn't even though it's concentrated effort to do, to do the show, it it's something that I look forward to doing. Yeah. And I think the other important thing too, is that I think you and I also don't pretend like everything is happy and sunshine all the time. We're obviously not like equipped to discuss a lot of the heavy things that are happening in the world. But I do think like if, if things are especially bad, I think we'll take a moment to address that and to like point that out. And, and you know, we, we share a lot of our lives on this show and like the state of the world and, and the state of politics is, is a part of everyone's life. And I think that like, while we're not going to dwell on it, I think that it's important to at least like touch on that. And I think, you know, in short, just doing this show helps bring positivity to my life in a meaningful way that doesn't feel like I'm turning a blind eye to things, but I'm creating something that means something to me and to others. And that's like all I have the power to do. Right. Which is honestly very meaningful. Yeah. Yeah. It really it really helps that the core conceit of the show is about positivity. You know, um, it, it right. makes it it makes it very easy to want to continue doing even when things get rough out there. Um, yeah. To have a, as you said, positive ritual uh, to come back to every week. There's also like another aspect of it, which is, you know, talking about doing streams and videos and bonus episodes and things like that. I mean, the easy answer is that it's hard. You know, it's like it's hard to keep that stuff going. You and I have like a billion different things that we've started doing long plays of on YouTube that we like haven't finished. And that's just because like it's hard to finish those kinds of really long projects. Uh, sometimes I also feel it out. Like I, I feel like it's like sometimes I start something and it's like, Oh, I don't really feel like as passionate about this as I would otherwise. And that goes to the, to the, you know, idea behind the show is like, if it starts to feel like you're going through the motions, like just don't do it, you know? Yeah. And that's, that's very much, yeah. As, as you're saying, like that's very much a core philosophy of everything that we're doing. Um, and that, that really does extend out to the other stuff that we make. That's not just this podcast, you know? So like, you know, my not words daily videos, for example, like I did those until a point where I woke up and did one in the morning and was like, I actually really don't want to be doing this anymore. And I, that was the last one I made. I was just like, eh, I think I'm good. <laughs> I'd like to spend my morning doing other things. That'd be better for me probably as a person. Uh, so I moved on to do other stuff. And, uh, I think that's like, just like a healthy way of looking at creative pursuits you know is like 
do do them as long as you're interested in them. But obviously, if you really want them to work, you need to take into consideration how they work. So like a podcast, for example, the way that a podcast works is consistency. Like it needs to be in somebody's feed every week. You know, you can miss a couple of weeks here and there as you and I do every once in a while. As you said, we take a week off when we need to. And like, it's totally cool and good. And luckily we've, I think, instilled enough faith in the listener and back at us that, you know, when we take a week off, everyone's cool with it and it's fine. And we're not going to like lose all our listeners in one week. Just I, like I also think we've only done it like a few times. It's pretty rare. Yeah. But it, it, same. But same still, idea, when we do yeah. it, like people are cool with it, which is great. Yeah. Um, but, you know, one of the key metrics of success in any podcast and Endeavor is being consistent. So it is helpful, you know, in that aspect that we have bonus episodes that fill in gaps when, when we do need to take a week off and have patron bonuses that come out just kind of sporadically here and there as we're excited about things. But that is work. Like, for example, I, I think today is a great. This is weird that this question and answer segment has been almost like a director's commentary of the episode that people are listening to. But this episode <laughs> specifically is coming out, what, two weeks after we're recording it because like we needed to pre-record time and we couldn't find time before I went away for a week. So here we are recording two episodes episodes in one day like our whole sunday is recording these episodes of the show which is why i still have covid voice because <laughs> i had covid voice last week and this week uh and the same episode because it's all the same day so sometimes it's just like you just got to do it something that helps me a lot too and i think you know i hope that this is helpful to anyone listening because i think a lot of what we shared is like about our show in particular yeah but regardless of what your hobby is or your pursuit is or your project is something that helps me a lot is really taking it day by day i think that in the past i would often kind of build up these ideas in my head and these projects that like became so big and so unattainable that like my schedule was more in pursuit of this far off idea and not like yeah. what am i doing exactly today i think like giving yourself just like goals for the day that you can realistically achieve that adds up so quickly over time. Mm -hmm. And that's ironically way more helpful at getting you to a place where you're accomplishing bigger projects because like you're just, okay, what can I do today or this week? Uh, what do I honestly have energy for today? I try to do, I make it, I make like a to-do list every day of like errands and, and other things. And like, if by the end of the day, I'm just like, really checked out and like not in a good mood or like really tired but like I still had drawing on my agenda I will just like doodle in my sketch pad for like 10 minutes but just so like I did a mm. little bit of it you know that's a great idea yeah so for me it's like if I have I, I try to keep it kind of vague so if I have drawing on my to-do list that can mean like sitting down and spending four hours on a single piece or it can mean like doodling while I have a show on in the background. Yeah. I mean, drawing especially is is kind of like something that you want to do. Like it's more important to have a routine than it is to like uh, spend like eight hours one day on a, a finishing a piece. I think it's a little bit to, like it's better for you, I think, in a lot of pursuits to do a little bit every day than like a lot all at once, because I think that that will help you turn it into a positive ritual and not like a task that you are feeling guilty about not accomplishing or whatever. Cause like that can spiral so quickly. Yeah. That's a, that's a, that's some very good advice. <laughs> it, it, and again, it comes with, I, I was also the guy who went to sleep at 7 PM and woke up at three. So I, I've gotten all this from experience. Uh, yeah. And you know, like everyone's got a different scenario. Like we work full time, but we're lucky enough that we have jobs that we can kind of like completely you know, leave behind us once it's five and we can focus on everything else. Other people might have, you know, different shifts or they might have like more physically required jobs or like they are actually more physically tired when they get home. So like, you know, I think it's about finding what works for your schedule and what and 
what helps. And, and I think that like, that's going to look different for everybody and yeah. it's not better or worse. You're just like accounting for your situation. Yeah. I, I have a, a helpful and an unhelpful thing to say, and I'll say the helpful <laughs> one first and <laughs> on the unhelpful. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. Uh, the, the helpful thing I, I think, and you and I have talked about this, I think on the show, but definitely off the show is this idea of input and output in your life. This idea of like, Hey, if you, if you don't have the capacity to be making stuff right now because of whatever's happening in your life or whatever's happening in the world around you, it's okay to take some time away and not make anything. Like even if you see yourself as a creative person, it's going to be more helpful for you to not force it in a lot of cases. I, I think, I think your example of like, I'm going to doodle for 10 minutes is like the perfect way of saying like, I, I can keep this muscle flexed, you know, but I don't feel the need to like overexert myself and overextend myself to the point of resentment, which is really nice. But I, I, I see this time where you're like not fully in the creative spirit and these times in which you really feel like you need to like kind of take a back seat to what life is offering you are really moments in which you're just like absorbing everything that's happening to you, which will come out in some form or another in your work. Yeah. Eventually, like when you get that creative spirit back, that is when the output happens. That's when you squeeze the sponge out and everything that's been happening for however long it's been starts to starts to show up on the page or in the video or in the song or whatever. I totally agree. I feel very strongly that that creativity is very much an ebb and flow which, you know, even though the president of the art college that uh, I went to on our first day said, I'm going to teach you to work all the time. You're never going to stop being creative. I was like, that sounds awful to me. Um, I very I very much always felt like there's like an ebb and flow to this kind of thing. So I think a big part and this is, you know, you and I both know a lot of creative people and I'm sure I'm sure you've heard this and I've heard this. I'm sure you've said this and I've said this. But like there are times when you're like, I don't think I'm creative anymore. I don't think I can keep going. You know, that's never the case. You're not, you, you don't suddenly not become a creative person just because you feel like you're not making stuff that's up to your standards or you're not making stuff at all uh, in any given period. Like sometimes you, your brain really just does need to like recharge. And that's cool. That's totally fine. Absolutely. That's the helpful thing. I find that the periods of my life in which I'm like, you know, like going through some kind of like depressive episode or like in a really bad place. When I emerge out of that, I, I'm so inspired to do something new. Yeah. You know, like I really, I really do think there's a kind of a natural ebb and flow, like you said to that. Not that like <laughs> you need to be depressed to make it hard. That's not a thing. It just like, you know, when, when your brain is in a place where you can't create, you will bounce out of it as long as you, you know, commit to it in some capacity. Yeah. What's the unhelpful thing? The unhelpful thing personally is that I am just like a very creatively energetic person. So my like my most honest answer to this, like completely subjectively, is I just have like kind of an unending drive to make things all the time. And very yeah. frequently I will just be like sitting doing something and without even thinking, I will just get up and go make a TikTok and release it all within the span of 20 minutes and then continue going and doing what I was doing before. That's just how I've always been, which makes it very hard to explain how I continue to make things when the world is the way it is. And when my job is the way it is, because sometimes like it really is a completely subconscious or sorry, it's a completely unconscious thing that just like happens out of nowhere. Yeah, I, I think about the creation of the show, for example, coming directly out of me getting laid off from what I thought was my dream job. Like I got laid off, immediately went home and called you and was like, we're going to start a video game podcast. Uh, yeah. And then we did. And in the time that I wasn't working, because I, I just I needed to be working on something creatively because my job at that point was so, so creative focused. And I knew that as soon as I like dropped that from my life, I would just completely languish and was like, I need to be working on something creative 
every day or else I'm not going to like ever make anything ever again, which of course is not true, but that's how I felt at the time. And yeah. the two things I did were play Hollow Knight and that was my like sad time and I made this podcast with you. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for sharing that. I mean, I I think that honestly is very helpful because I think that, you know, we all choose to communicate ourselves to the world in different ways. And that's just how you work. It's like how you're wired and and it's kind of beautiful. I mean, I also think that like I, I will offer one last piece of advice and I truly I don't I don't know everything. This is just what I think. But uh, I think that a natural response to when there's something in the world that's happening that is so like beyond tragic, it's very easy to look at yourself in your own life and be like, nothing I am doing even matters at this point. You know, I really I think it's totally fine to have that fleeting thought, but it's so untrue. If you're someone that is creatively inspired to create anything people want to see what you're working on it's not about like content or algorithms or whatever it's like if you have something within yourself that you want to share a story you want to tell like the world needs that so badly especially right now yeah so not that like you should be like i am the cure to sadness but like you know when people are going through shit i mean that is that isn't in some ways why art exists. We as humans need to strive for something else. There's something within us that we can't really communicate through physical limits. And I think art's place in society is to often speak to what's happening uh, or to reflect on what's happening. Or even if it's not explicitly about what's happening in history, it is in some ways connected to it. Even if it's a completely, you know, a fantasy story about something else. Like sometimes we just need that escape or we need something else. So I think that really don't ever discredit what you have to offer uh, in face of tragedy and despair. Wow. (laughs) That was fucking sick, Uh, dude. (laughs) Dude, dude, did you hear what Steve just said? (laughs) (laughs) That was really good. I, I'm glad I meant something. Speed run wrapping up because I, <laughs> I want I want that to be the lingering thought. Um, okay, great. Hey, thank you to everybody who asked questions. Um, really appreciate it. Uh, thank you to Stephen for answering it the way that he just did. And honestly, look, we could just we could just say into the cast that online is where everything lives. Uh, you can go check out all of our stuff there. Uh, please tell other people about the show. That would be very helpful. Whenever you do that, it helps the show grow, and that's that's cool for us. Uh, but also for the community of people on Discord, which you can also join. I, I'm now turning this into a long version of this. So I'm just going to say my name is Brendan Bigley. You can find me on the internet at Brendan Bigley. <laughs> I'm Stephen Hilger. You find me at Stephen Hilger. Have a wonderful rest of your day. We will see you real soon. Goodbye, everyone. Is the next episode the premiere? I don't think so. Okay. Well, see you later. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Bye-bye. Garbage. The online.